And greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Thank you for joining us live this Shabbat as we embark on chapter 1 in the book of Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. Yeshayahu. Greet one another in the chat and blessings upon you all scattered abroad and joining us here live. Let's dive right into chapter 1 of the book of Isaiah. In verse 2 it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Yahuwah has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel, Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, O sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. The identifier is am, my people, Israel. That is the qualifier. And I, I rem, I'm reminded in the Brit Hadashah of a verse that is so similar to that. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the Torah till all be fulfilled. You see, if the Torah is done away with, then the restoration of Israel, the coming of Messiah, cannot happen. Just as the heavens and the earth are the two witnesses of Yahuwah's judgment, and Yahusha, his subsequent salvation, and healing of the exile. You see, Yahweh is showing us today in chapter 1 through the prophet Isaiah that the problem is, am my people Israel. That they're no longer acting like his people Israel. They have become alienated and more drawn to the nations which then, in turn, will bring a siege upon Jerusalem and Judah, which will then cause them to become sick. And sickness is a euphemism for the exile. Thus, they will need to be healed. Therefore, Yahweh will send the great physician, the healer of my people, to heal the sickness which means bring Israel back from the exile and back into the land. But if his people don't know they're his people, and they're still acting like the pagan nations, caught up in religion, and they think that they're something else, are they going to get properly healed? Because the sickness is the exile. And what keeps you in exile is an exile or slave mentality of being one with the exile or one with the world. So the whole premise here is my people need to identify as my people, which is why each and every week I greet you 
Greetings to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. I don't greet you to um, the Pentecostals and, and the Mennonites and the, the, the... I don't greet you that way. Because Yaakov James tells us in the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, that there are twelve tribes scattered abroad. And for them to truly be healed, that happens when they accept Yahushua and realize that they are Israel. So this is kind of the subject matter that we're getting into right here in the first chapter. Because religion, religion wants no judgment. And it wants the salvation, but it doesn't want the judgment. But you see, you have to have judgment so that you can really appreciate the salvation. Because salvation is what then brings you out of the exile, because that is the healing from the physician himself. The one which Yeshayahu Isaiah prophesies. Now, this is all about covenant. Judah had broken covenant. And therefore, Jerusalem was about to be sieged by those in the north, the Assyrians and those coming down from the north. We know that being in covenant means that you have witnesses to that covenant. There has to be signatories on the covenant. It's a contract. And the witnesses are the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. The book of the covenant witnesses. Because we're talking about the book of the covenant. Not just the physical heaven and earth, but those who reside in the heavens and the earth. And who are those that reside in the heavens and the earth? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're witnesses to the covenant. They were on earth, and they reside in the Shamaim, meaning Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 speaks to this. The hall of faith. I love that chapter. Wherefore, seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What are they witnessing? They're witnessing your repentance, your salvation, your identification with their seed, which is why Paul calls you seed of Abraham, which means you are one of the twelve tribes, or you join the 12 tribes and you come back into covenant faithfulness as Israel together. That's the restoration of all Israel. Healness, being healed from your sickness, which is the exile, which is paganism, which is everything that you and I grew up in. Syncretism, religious syncretism is sickness because it keeps you in the exile. Think about this. The Book of the Covenant was made after the Book of the Law was imposed and the Covenant included both those present and those not present in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 14. The not present rebellious wicked generations that Isaiah was prophesying to. Because the Book of the Covenant was made and then they went and broke it at the golden calf and then was imposed the book of the law. But there were witnesses all the time to the covenant treaty 
and the covenant infraction. And those witnesses are the patriarchs and the heavens and the earth because the patriarchs reside in both the heavens and the earth. I hope that makes sense. Look at verse 4. O sinful nation, a people loaded with iniquity. A zerah, there's that word, that means generations from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A seed of evildoers. Children that are corrupt. We're talking generational iniquity. They have forsaken Yahuwah. They have provoked the Kadosh One of Israel. It doesn't say they've provoked the Pope. It doesn't um, say they've um, provoked the Archbishop of Canterbury. We're not talking about the sect of the Church of England here. This is about Israel. Because if we don't identify as Israel, then we're still sick. We haven't been properly healed by the great physician. I did not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, is what the Mashiach said. He didn't come for all of the denominations. He came but to the lost sheep. Now the Shem Tov Matthew says the prostituting sheep of the house of Israel because we've all been whoring around with papal gods. And this time of year you see it. As they go out into the forest and they cut down a tree and they drag it inside the house. The very things that the prophet Jeremiah told us not to do. And remember, Isaiah and Jeremiah were contemporaries of one another. So this was very prevalent. I wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to drag trees up through the streets of Jerusalem at this time also. Very interesting. From addressing his people personally as Israel, which is my people, Yahuwah now in addresses them impersonally. How would you like Yahuwah to address you? Well, how would you like Yahuwah to address you? Personally or impersonally? Would you like to be addressed as Israel or would you like to be addressed as your denominational sect? Because that's what it's about. Because if he addresses you impersonally, then that's the section in Matthew chapter 7 where many say that they were doing this, that, and t'other, but he did not know you. That's impersonal. Personal means you've been healed of your sickness, that you've come back from the exile. And this is what we're about here at Torah to the Tribes being healed of our sicknesses and our affirmities. And that is about self-mastery. Overcoming sin, temptation, and the way that you used to live. This is what he wants, true repentance and restoration deep within. And my daughter is finding that is very amusing. Yes? No? Sure? Okay. Am I missing something? Okay, just checking. Because this, this is for you, especially. What does the Bible teach us about being his people? Are we impersonal 
or personally his people. Because impersonal means exile and it means an alienated state. Are we in an alienated state or are we in a healed state? It's kind of, and this might offend some of you, I think an impersonal and alienated state would be when I used to identify myself as a Christian. That was an impersonal and alienated state. Whereas now, as I identify myself as Israel, as one of the 12 tribes, or a sojourner who has grafted into the 12 tribes as one, then that is my people. What do I mean? Well, what does the Bible teach? Look and turn to the book of Acts in the 24th chapter. And, and like I say, I'm not trying to step on toes, but this might offend a few people. Acts chapter 24, verse 5, Marse Shlechim, the Acts of the Apostles. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. I like this translation. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. There's the identifier. Now tie that in with Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. We're going to get another identifier, and you decide if it's a personal identifier or an impersonal identifier identifier. If it's a personal identifier, then that means the work of Isaiah the prophet has come about and they have been healed of their sickness. They're no longer impersonal. They're no longer in an alienated pagan state, but they have been healed of their sickness and they are now personally restored as Israel. An identifier of Israel would be a sect of the Nazarenes, and also Galatians 6, verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, shalom be upon them, and rachamin, mercy, upon the Israel of Yahuwah, or the Israel of Elohim, depending on your translation. Is that impersonal or personal? Does that reflect sickness or healing? What do you think? Healing. They are no longer identified impersonally, but they are now identified as healed. Nazarenes and Israelites. As opposed to Acts chapter 11 verse 26 that communicates an alienated state. Acts 11 verse 26. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, this is the word kretin, kretin. In the Greek, it's christianos. This was the Mandean deity of the son, Christ Helios. The Mandean deity of the son, Christ Helios. The Alexandrian Osiris was Christos. People don't realize this an alienated state. The Romans inherited the way the Persians worshipped the sun under the title Christos Mithras. Very appropriate teaching for this time of year. Where Christos 
took the Roman interpretation of meaning something good, something pure, something sacred, and something holy. So the Romans then interpreted this God as meaning something good, pure, sacred, and holy. And then they put that title on the disciples who they thought were good, pure, sacred, and holy people. Can you see? But is it an alienated term or is it a healing term? It's an alienated term that we have all labeled ourselves with, which keeps us in an alienated sick state. And people will go, well, well, Christian is in the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. They were first called Christians in Antioch. But they don't stop to go, well, well, well why? Well, why were they called Christians? And, and what does Christos mean? Well, it's the, it's the word cretin, which is where we get the Greek word Christianos, which was a Mandian deity of the son Christ Helios, which was down in Alexandria, was Osiris, was Christos, and then the Romans, they interpreted this as something good, something sacred, as something holy, and they put that label on a group of people that were doing good, sacred, holy things. But that doesn't make it right. And that certainly doesn't mean that I should identify with it. I'm not a bloody Roman. And I'm not in an alienated state. How many of us accept these labels that they put on us to try and keep us sick and alienated? Instead of being a multi-ethnic tribe of Israel, all 12 tribes that left Egypt, a mixed multitude coming together for healing under the love, mercy, and compassion of Yahuwah, that there is one law for the homeborn and the foreigner and the stranger that we are all one in Yahuwah. That's healing. That's healing from the exile. Anything else is paganism, sickness, and an alienated state. Isaiah truly wants to show you Yahusha. Because otherwise, we'll end up under a siege mentality. Your mind will become ensieged with everything that they're trying to pigeonhole you with. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. That's an alienated state. You'll be alienated from the true essence of being born again. Alienated from a true essence of coming into self-mastery. Because if you wrongly misidentify, then everything else from that point on is going to be corrupt. Am I right? Or am I wrong? You have to build a strong foundation, and that is identifying truly as Israel. All that to say this. We have inherited a term meaning alienated state from Israel. And I don't want to be alienated from Israel. And you certainly don't. Because you keep tuning in every week and accepting the greeting. 
to all twelve tribes scattered abroad. An alienated state means a term widely used by pagan worship worshippers. It's universal, which is where we get the term Catholic. It means universal. Catholic means a universal alienated state from Israel. I want to talk about regression. Regression. Because additional regression occurs from this people's simply going astray to then burdening themselves with sin, which then regresses them further, which leads to wrongdoing, which then leads to their offspring becoming wrongdoers. Do you see the regression going on here? of the alienated state that then turns into perverse children, meaning the next generation has now become thoroughly corrupt, forsaking Yahuwah and spurning him, finally to become willful, willful, excuse me, defiant cretins, cretins, Christios which is an alienated state. Are you tracking with me? The Holy One of Israel, Israel Ekad Kadosh, the Holy One of Israel, together with Abir Israel, which is um, spelled Yod, Aleph, Bet, Yod, Resh. Abir Israel, the valiant one of Israel, this designates Israel's Elohim more than 30 times in the vision of Isaiah. More than 30 times. So we need to get the correct designation of who we're worshipping here. We are worshipping Israel Ekad Kadosh or Abir Israel, meaning the Holy One of Israel, or the Valiant One. Who is your Elohim? The Holy One of Israel, the Valiant One. Yahuwah, Yahuwah Elohim, merciful, gracious, and long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, who extends mercy to thousands, forgiver of iniquity, transgression, and sin, who by no means clears the guilty, but visits the sins on the father's children to the third and fourth generation. To those who love him, he will give his mercy. So we pray for his mercy, which is that we will be healed from the sickness, which is the exile and an alienated state of Catholicism a universal alienated state that then they protested to come out of, but then they still stayed in an alienated state because they didn't identify as Israel. This is huge. Look at verse 5. Why should you be beaten anymore? Yet you will continue in apostasy. The whole head is sick. Your thinking is stinking. You're not identifying properly with who you're supposed to be. And the whole heart then 
becomes faint. If your thinking is stinking, then your heart becomes corrupted. And then what happens? Your walk becomes affected. Do you see it here? Look. The head, the heart, the soles of the feet. Even to the head there is no soundness, but wounds and bruises and open sores, an alienated state of exile and sickness. Metaphor and allegory here. They have not been closed, they have not been bound up, neither soothed with anointment. When we come back to Israel, our feet, our walk is restored. We're no longer walking in the pagan nations. Our thinking is restored. We have a sound mind. And our heart no longer lusts after the things of the nations. It's a full healing. But it comes by self-mastery under Mashiach. This whole idea that we can abdicate responsibility with greasy grace is absolutely from an alienated state of Helios Christos. It's not Israelite. Israelite is self-mastery, ascending up the mountain like Moshe. And then as you get higher and higher up the mountain, you'll look behind you and you'll be like most people, are down the bottom, greasy grace with a golden calf, with all the lusts of the flesh. Because there's only a few that will be attuned to self-mastery in Moshiach. Anyway. Let me continue on. You see, what's happened with this people, which is Judah in Jerusalem, is that they have lapsed into total apostasy. That's a very dangerous place to be. The, the Hebrew word here is Nazoru Amor. It signifies that Yahweh's people have become entirely estranged from him. I mean, that's mortifying to become entirely estranged from Yahuwah, to be smitten by Elohim and afflicted through plagues and terrors. It constitutes Yahuwah's final attempt to bring his people back from the brink. And how does he do it? Through compelled performance. He is compelling them to repent from evil. But their persistent waywardness it actually compounds their, their plight to exile and siege. You see, I look around today, I look around the streets, and when homelessness and illness and disease become rampant, what does that reflect? What does that say to me? It says to me that society is sick in its mind and in its body. It says that society's walk has been afflicted. The final circle, if you will, of debris swilling around the drain is when society begins to mutilate its body at the applause, at the applause of the crowds in the town square. And you see, Yahuwah warned us about this, that it would come to this point in Leviticus chapter 19. I'll read it to you. In the Hebrew, it says, Lo Natan Seret Basar. Lo Natan Seret Basar. You shall not cut thy flesh. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender 
with diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. When society tries to cut into the flesh, to mutilate itself, allow its people to mutilate themselves and say there's no such thing as gender and then allow thy to corrupt thy seed with a mingling of species and sex, then that is true alienation from the Creator Elohim. Can we all agree to that? That is the last circling of society before it goes down the well of destruction. Lo natan seret basar, you shall not cut thy flesh, thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with thy diverse kind, and thou shalt not sow thy field with thy mingled... You can't even talk about gender nowadays. You can't even talk about diverse kind. You can't even talk about that stuff because they are in an alienated state. And an alienated state is what is politically correct. That shows you that there is great siege mentality. So you can see that when you speak truth today, what happens? Siege mentality. Ramparts upon your wall and they try to take down your castle. This is exactly the allegory and metaphor of chapter 1. Isaiah is standing up for holiness, for truth, identifying as Israel, worshipping the one true creator, Yahuwah Elohim. He has restored his generations. He's bringing forth seed and he's speaking truth. And then what happens? Siege mentality, ramparts upon the wall. They're trying to storm down and eventually they take him captive and cut him asunder. You see, allegorically, the head or leadership and their heart or core institutions, meaning their entire establishment, both political, religious, has denigrated themselves into pathological, perverse state. Would you say that we're there? Seems pretty pathological to me out there. You see, Isaiah speaks on two distinct levels simultaneously. And the Israel he addresses is primarily two. Number one, those who were Yahuwah's covenant people anciently, and number two, those who are Yahuwah's covenant people at the end times. And this is how Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. This is you. This is me, the Israel of Yahuwah. And as many as walk according to the rule of the covenant, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of Elohim. So there is another people being raised up that are going to have the rules of the covenant encompassing all about them. Peace shall be upon them. They shall experience the mercy of Yahuwah upon their life. And they shall be encompassed about in a restored state as Israel, my people. This is the end time Israel designated by Isaiah the prophet. Those who have covenanted with Israel's Yahuwah. 
in verse 8. Now, Israel's apostasy, it typifies the end-time apostasy, if you will. But I believe there is hope because salvation is always reserved for a remnant that repent. Verse 8, and the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. What? What are you talking about salads for? No, 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 I'm not talking about salads. It kind of sounds like it, though. Israel here is the woman, and Yahuwah is her husband. Now, his whole people have apostatized. Will they survive Assyria's destruction? A small remnant is called Zion or the daughters of Zion. And what they represent is a faithful spiritual harvest. The category of Israel because they are faithful to the covenant terms of Yahuwah. What is left then is the remnant. The tares are taken away. And then the wheat is stored into the barn. Isn't there a parable like that in the Brit Hadashah? And people think, oh, no, there's going to be, you know, the Christios Hilos or the Cretans believe what? That the righteous are going to be raptured up and taken to heaven. Well, no, no, that's not how it works. The tares are gathered up first and burned and destroyed. And then the righteous are taken into the cottage, into the barn, into the storehouse. The wheat and it's totally the opposite of what the alienated doctrine state teaches. Does that make sense? It's totally the op opposite. So to survive means to return from the exile, to come out of Babylon, to survive the crisis. To survive the chaos, to rise above all of those emotions, all of your present circumstances. To stand as a flagstaff on a mountaintop, as a dolman on a hill, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 17. So how do we do that? How on earth do we accomplish that in a world under siege? How did the remnant in Jerusalem, in Judah, at the time of this writing, how do you accomplish that? You've got all this emotion and emotion and chaos and siege. And you know what it's like when that emotion gets going. Then your IQ drops. Like how many points, Moshe? 20. And you can't think properly because you've got now, you've got this. And it's a whole fear, siege, Babylonian fear mentality, which is how this system is set up. So then your IQ drops and you can't think. And now you're just in reaction mode. Worst place to be. What does it say? That if you have been healed by Yahuwah, that if you truly identify as Israel, then you shall have his shalom upon you and you will experience his mercy and you will be empowered to be able to have formlessness. 
And that is what we're looking for. Formlessness. What do I mean? The ascended man, which is what we are trying to become, what we're trying to be, is a man or a woman. Is this just a headshot that you're getting me on the, on the, do we need to switch a camera? Oh, okay, good, good. I saw I was looking at the wrong, the wrong camera. So I don't want you looking at my, just my forehead or something. The ascended man, the ascended woman, to gain that self-mastery, we need to seek formlessness. And what does that mean? Now, I'm preaching to the choir here. Formlessness doesn't show... Now, wh wh why, is, why am I going to teach this? Because this is something that I struggle with. Okay, and this is something I want to master because if this is going to be birthed a true teaching and it's got to be birthed from experience, does that make sense? So how do I know this? Because it has to be real in my life and it has to be something that I often pray, seek the word and seek. And it's most probably something that I fail at miserably. But I have found in my life the things that I fail, fail at and I keep trying and diligent, then I become successful at because that is self-mastery. And that's what he's taught me through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we all need to experience formlessness because that enables you to overcome the chaos, overcome the siege, and gain self-mastery. And where formlessness really, really is so empowering is the ascended man should seek that formlessness where something infuriates you because if something infuriates you or frightens you then the tendency is to take on that form of infuriation and that form of being frightened and react to it but formlessness is a created state of detachment from reaction it's a detachment from the reaction of what you are experiencing, where formlessness then disorientates those who seek to argue and debate with you. Because many will come and seek to argue and debate, but if you then can become formless, then it disorientates them or disorientates Satan. With formlessness, you train yourself to take nothing personally. As somebody who used to take everything personally. Now, it's not personal. You can't take everything personally. And we shouldn't show defensiveness. That becomes formlessness. Because when you're defensive, you show your emotions, which reveals what? Your emotions show clear form, don't they? Emotions are an uncloaking device. It's like, woohoo! Right? You just totally exposed yourself. Formlessness means that you don't show all of that emotion 
Because what that does, emotion makes you a clear and easy target. Formlessness is crucial for ascension. It's crucial for ascension. Emotions are the Achilles heel. Emotions show a nerve has been hit. If someone gets all emotional, then you've hit a nerve. You have hit a nerve. So train yourself to take nothing personally, to thrive in an exile state, which is formlessness. Only the formless can thrive in today's targeted environment. We live in a hostile world and a hostile targeted environment. They're trying to trigger everybody's emotions because when your emotions are triggered, you've uncloaked yourself and you are an easy target to be captured and taken in. Whereas if you can remain formless, then that disorientates mystery Babylon. It, you are invisible and you can ascend through the chaos. Also, you've got to think about lowering your public footprint as much as possible. This world, it's all about TikTok and Facebook. They want, they are compelling you to have a massive public footprint. You want to do the opposite. You want to limit your public footprint as much as possible because that's all part of formlessness formlessness emotions slow you down your iq drops tremendously your blood pressure rises it makes you like a tortoise easy prey instead of cunning like a cheetah hey cheetah you got to be fast on your feet ready to spring because we want to spring into the promised land, don't we? We want to spring into the promised land. Formlessness, taking us back to that verse now. I'm going to tie it all the way, all the way in. Formlessness is like a shelter or a cottage in a vineyard growing amongst the cucumbers. Vineyard denotes the promised land. Israel. The cottage refers to Yahweh's cloud of glory, his protection, fire and cloud, a refuge from the downpour. It also suggests the presence of the watchman because Moshiach is the guardian of Israel. And is Moshiach formless? Formless. Was he triggered by all the emotion? Did he uncloak himself and expose his mission as the restorer of Israel? What does the, what does the Brit Hadashah say? If Satan had knew who the king of glory was, he would never. But Yahushua remained, remained formless all the way to the crucifixion tree. Formless. Because if he had not remained formless, then Satan would never have crucified the king of glory. We have to practice formlessness. Isaiah in the ninth verse, except Yahweh Savot had left unto us a very small remnant, that's the formless ones, we should have been as Sodom, we should have been like unto Gomorrah. 
Hear the word of Yahuwah, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the Torah of Yahuwah, ye people of Gomorrah. You see, the few survivors are like unto Lot and his two daughters, representing a pattern of what happens in the end time when the angels, the Malachim, or the two witnesses, escort us out of the nations. We are to be escorted by the two witnesses, the messengers, the angels, the Malachim, out of Mystery Babylon. Are you coming? Come out of her, my people. Reduce your public footprint. Don't drop your IQ and get all up in the public. You need to come out of her, my people. And when you need to be ready, do not expose your form. Be formless so that you can go out undetected. Because his mercy and his grace will be upon you. The two witnesses are going to escort us out of the nations. But some, some will look back as Babylon falls in an hour. Others who have set their trust in Yahuwah and set their hand to the plow, they will not look back. Well, who are you? Well, who are you? This is quite sobering, is it not? You see, our devotion to Yahweh has to be greater than our devotion to anything else. But when our devotion becomes but a shallow version of his Torah, but a shallow version of his commandments, and when... Our word and our time in the word lacks power. Then are we able to withstand the evil? Certainly not. And this is the problem with the alienated state, which I think the modern day church is. They have embraced the woke mob. We saw that in 2020 when they shut their doors. They embraced wokeism. They've embraced the woke mob. Their devotion is but a shallow version of his law. It is but a shallow version of his word. And therefore, it lacks the power to withstand evil. And that's why the church failed us in 2020. Because they are unable to withstand evil. They've already proved that. Because they're in an alienated state. There's only a remnant that will learn formlessness that will be led out of the nations. Reduce your public footprint now. And practice formlessness. Because a time is coming when you will need to be the gray man. And it's coming quickly. Don't look back once you've set your hand to the plow. Israel is calling. Yahuwah is calling Israel. If you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Ruach says. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith Yahuwah? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks 
or of the lambs or of the he-goats. Verse 12, when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread in my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Verse 15. And when you spread forth your hands, I will not hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And verse 16. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Are we even able to have a conversation without you getting triggered? Are we even able to disagree and have a conversation without you accusing me of being a fascist or a Nazi or a racist or a this? Or aren't we even able to have a civilized conversation? Is this the state of our world? Nobody's able to even to talk to one another. It's the woke mob trying to trigger everybody against everybody else. But Yahweh's people, they come together as a multi-ethnic tribe and they are able to be formless. They are able to reason together they are able to see that their skins were as scarlet, but now they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, the word blood here not only implies extreme injustice, but it's a catch-all for the legal system as a whole. Hands filled with blood. It alludes, what does that allude to? That alludes to like mob rule and, and, and hands full of violence, doesn't it? Murder and abortion. And these are societal failures. That's what this is. This is societal failures and abuses that have serious ripple effects on the psyche of society as a whole, leading to addiction, suicide, and generations of homelessness. Welcome to San Francisco, right? Welcome to Portland, Oregon. Used to be the Rose City, such a beautiful place. Now, oh my goodness, this is exactly what it is. Societal failures because of the people that you have put in charge of you are like infants and children or geriatrics. You put them in. That reflects your sickness. Now, doing good implies seeking justice for the oppressed. Now, those hoodwinked into 
paying someone else to speak for them or to represent them, well, that's not a good idea. Don't get involved in injustices. Nobody can speak for you as you can speak for yourselves. Now, there's two ways to interpret with blood on your hands. Now, is Yahuwah asking a question? And there's no grammar, there's no punctuation in Hebrew, so it could possibly be a, a question. With blood on your hands, do you still imagine you can become clean? Could possibly be a question. The sin of presumption, the slippery slope of greasy grace. Do people really assume that they will really be pardoned though they are guilty of practicing such things? This is what it was like in the days of Isaiah, and this is what it's like in the days we live in today. People may not be doing it themselves, but they're a part of the wokeism that is championing all of this societal chaos and destruction. Well, then the Bible says you're just as guilty as if you were practicing it yourself, if you're championing that kind of wokeism. In the 28th verse of the first chapter of Romans, it is written, And even as they did not like to retain Yahuwah in their knowledge, Yahuwah gave them over to a reprobate mind. You met anyone with a reprobate mind lately? Anyone? It's everywhere. Everywhere. And what is a reprobate mind? To those things they do which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. That's why I've been in, I can't tell you how many times I have been invited by Torah teachers to do debates. I will not involve myself in a debate. That is an argument. It's an argument. A debate? That's not a debate. It's an argument. And you're literally two little puppets on a stage being mocked as people choose. Oh, he won. Oh, I think he won. Who would? I won't participate in such trivialities. If you want to learn the word, get into the word. And if Yahuwah reveals to you, and I pray that he can use some of these teachings to reveal to you deeper things of the word that you have studied by yourself, then great. But I shall not enter into the trivialities of debate. So please don't ask me and send me any more emails. I'm not coming. I'm not going to be a part of it. You guys keep on debating and arguing among yourselves. Yahushua is the Malkitzedic high priest. We are under the book of the covenant, and the book of the law is the handwriting that was against us, and it was introduced after the golden calf. But I won't debate you on it. And for those of you that are teaching the fakery Malkitzedic priesthood out there, stop it. You're just trying to jump on the bandwagon and you're doing a disservice to the gospel because it's not the true Malkitzedic priesthood. The true Malkitzedic priesthood understands there is a dichotomy between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. And you can't parcel it all together 
and champion Malki Zedek, Malki Zedek, Malki Zedek. It's a disservice to the truth of the word. That's all I have to say on that. Because there's a lot of fakery out there. A lot of fakery. Because these people, they're backbiters. Haters of Yahuwah, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding. They are covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of Yahuwah, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but they have pleasure in those that do them. That's the woke mob. And we finish up here in the 19th verse, and it says, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. Oh, that's what I want, the good of the land. But if ye refuse and be rebellious, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of Yahuwah has spoken it. Refusing to repent will place in motion a natural law whereby the Creator will empower your enemies against you, the natural forces of chaos and mayhem. And people don't realize that. That's a natural law. How is the faithful city become a harlot? Verse 21. It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now... Murderers, thy silver is become dross, thy wine, well, it's mixed with water. The Hebrew term for silver is kasep, or money. Its meaning here is a worthless or devalued currency. Is that possible? It's very, very probable. On a spiritual note, we can look at the elect as silver, but have become dross means they lose their elect position through becoming one with the world of chaos and mayhem. And they've become dross, which isn't a metal at all, is it? They've fallen from grace and have joined Isaiah's perdition category. That's not a good category to fall into, the perdition category. Verse 23, thy princes, they are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. I mean, what an alienated state. Do you realize that the state of our justice system in the United States, that the poor do not have equal access to equal justice here in America. The poor do not have equal access to equal justice. They are barred access to hearing and a trial in any case against them. Are you even aware of that? You see, for the poor... In this corporate United States of America, for the poor to gain access to a hearing or a trial, they have to self-report on themselves. That's right. They have to surrender their rights 
and they have to testify against themselves financially just to gain access to the courts. Otherwise, they get no hearing and no trial unless they self-report and testify against themselves financially. They have to fill out a self-reporting form on their income so that they can gain access to a hearing and a trial. That is injustice. There's a saying that comes from the days of Isaiah that I believe you will find is truer today than ever before based upon this verse. The enemies of justice may even pass laws that facilitate their wrongdoing. That is extremely sobering. I'll repeat it for you. The enemies of justice may even pass laws that facilitate their wrongdoing. Welcome to your modern age. We have statutes and laws that are passed through the legislature that facilitate their wrongdoing. In fact, more statutes and laws have been implemented since March the 9th, 1933, than in the history of the world. Even Roman times, and the Romans were pretty prolific on their statutes and laws, even more than the Romans. Why? So the creditors of the United States can place liens, get payment on the national debt, by using disenfranchised citizens as surety for the debt of this nation. We have fallen into the hands of a bunch of statutory law merchants that have come up out of the sea, being empowered by the beast of the Congress. Revelation warned us this in the 13th chapter. And I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. We live in a day and age just like Isaiah. Moral degeneracy. The appointment of leaders reflect the people themselves. They parallel each other, and their spiritual condition holds out little hope for the rising generation. Beware, brethren, when rituals substitute true spirituality. But there is hope for us. Yahweh has healed a remnant like a cottage in a vineyard. He is the one that is encompassing us with peace and his shalom and grace. But we have to work with Yahuwah's Holy Spirit to gain that self-mastery. We must become formless. We must become formless. We must practice formlessness. Don't argue. Don't get emotional and continue to strive for holiness. Self-mastery the sin within you. What is the interpretation of today's teaching? In the chat, 
put up the interpretation of today's teaching in the chat put up the application of today's teaching in the chat and in the chat what is the pattern that you can see in today's teaching and if you want me to get your attention then try and answer those questions interpretation what is the application and what are the patterns the patterns that I see in my life that cause me to be successful the patterns that I see in my life that cause me to stumble and fall what applications can I make of the word each and every day to better myself what interpretation can I see in this first chapter of the book of Isaiah because for me it's about gaining self mastery of myself through interpretation application and pattern well let's see what you have to say and see if I can catch your chat here if you want to get my attention then please redline me at um, Torah to the tribes dot uh, at Torah to the tribes is that right that's how we do it I think I don't know if it show up so it shows up on my phone all right Baruch Hashem Yahuwah Karen Long Shabbat Shalom Karen Long she says Paul did not enter into their controversy through his though his feet remained in Yahuwah's cycles and he shared with the heathen these truths of Messiah he did not enter into the controversy thank you truth like velcro oh truth of like velcro is fellowshipping with emissary of Elohim Baruch Hashem Yahuwah and Shabbat Shalom Libby Tube puts up Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 thank you that's a great I love that that first that first chapter of Romans is very applicable to the first chapter of Isaiah and Karen Long talks of the reprobate mind I love that word reprobate reprobate meaning an insane mind without the mind of Mashiach without the mind of Mashiach Let's see. Ed Letterman says debating is only arguing, not a way to find truth. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I came to that conclusion many, many, many years ago. I can't even watch them. Um, yeah. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Any questions, comments in here? Modesto haven't seen you on the chat for a long time Shabbat Shalom Modesto Gaza yes it's interesting how focused Mormons are on the Melchizedek but they seem to use it as hierarchy or a title system that's interesting yeah Baruch Hashem Yahuwah All right. 
Anybody else in the chat here? You guys are just chatting it up with each other. You're not chatting it up with me. That's all right. That's okay. Well, thank you, Truth Like Velcro, telling me I speak so much truth. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? I tell you, my goodness. I like this. Rihanna Eden, we must work daily to be formless in this evil world. Do not follow and be herded by a lawless bully. Thank you. Thank you very much. Truth like Velcro, apt Torah to the tribes. Matthew, I really needed to hear this. Yah spoke to my spirit about the arguing, so tiring, with a virtue signaler that I will never hear truth. Thank you for the, that will never hear truth. Thank you for the confirmation. Yeah, people aren't interesting, interested um, through that, that venue of argument. It does no good. It does no good whatsoever. People convinced, let them be convinced. Baruch Hashem Jose down there in the panhandle of Florida. Wonderful teaching. Yahweh will refine us like silver and test us like gold. We will call on his name and he will say, they are my people. And we will say, Yahweh is our Elohim. That's so comforting, isn't it? Isn't that just so comforting? Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Michael, Michael, Shabbat Shalom, Michael, Michael. Seek ye first the kingdom of Yah and his righteousness and all other things shall be added. Mary Trotter says that we are to rule over our emotions, not allowing our emotion to rule over us. Lots of good chat down here. Great to see many of you, many of you engaging in the chat. And remember, you can always pop back in the comments section afterwards, edify one another. And those of you that do support the ministry, thank you so much for your giving and your tithes and your offerings. Please consider um, supporting the ministry. You can visit us anytime at TorahToTheTribes.com. You can go to forward, forward slash teaching, um, I believe forward slash giving. You can navigate around the website and find so much. And remember, what's so important is that you connect with one another. And we can connect with each other, I think. How many days a week are we on our connect platforms now? Three days a week, and the most popular one, of course, is Shabbat Fellowship that starts 9 o'clock in the morning, Pacific Standard Time. I do highly recommend you jump on there, meet some people, make some friends, make some connections in your Torah to the Tribes community. Until next Shabbat, Yahuwah's blessings and peace be upon you, and thank you for tuning in, and Yahuwah be with you in the chaos making you formless as a cottage in a vineyard. Shabbat Shalom.